Okay. Um, welcome, everybody. It's the first summer session of Thursday Night Learning, whatever you want to call it. Um, I want to make a very important, well, make a couple of points before we start a discussion about why Jews don't believe in Jesus. Okay? So a couple of very important points. Number one, number one is that obviously, which is true, I think, anytime we speak, and anytime we speak about topics, certainly topics like this, um, the purpose is never to disparage another religion. That's not the reason for the class. Um, if that was the reason for the class, they should fire me. That's not, we don't do that. Um, that's not the point. Um, it's rather to help, you know, to help. You know, a lot of times we get questions, people ask me all the time, well, why is it? Someone asked me that. You know, why don't Jews believe in Jesus? And why is that? And, you know, until very recently, I didn't really know. I didn't really look at the sources. I never really thought about why not. I just knew that we didn't. I never, and then I never, you know, really thought to pay attention to why not. But the questions come up more, more often recently. Um, so that's number one. So first of all, to help us understand why it is that we believe what we believe. Um, I think most Jewish people know that, they, that generally Jewish doctrine does not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, um, the Jewish Messiah. And the question is, why not? Um, the second point, which I think is, um, I was looking while I was preparing this year, I looked at a Jews for Jesus website, which had a review of Arya Kaplan. Arya Kaplan has a book called The Real Messiah. I took a lot of the sources I got from his book, um, where he discusses this question at length. And the person reviewing the book said that one fault in his, in his explanation is that he makes the assumption that Christianity, or that all Christians believe that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, and that Christianity is the new Israel. And, he said, and she said, that's not necessarily true. Everyone doesn't necessarily believe that. Um, so the point that we're making tonight, and the, the point, the argument we're going to build, hopefully honestly, is that Jesus was not the Jewish Messiah. He was not what we call Mashiach. And we're going to explain with numerous explanations, go through numerous points, why he's not what the Jewish people would call Mashiach, the Messiah. Could he be what the Christian... This is not an explanation of why Christians shouldn't believe in Jesus. Christians can believe in Jesus and they have their own reasons to, that's fine. But that the point that we're going to make, and I think as we see the source, it'll become more clear, is that according to Jewish theology and Jewish doctrine, it's impossible to say that, Jew, that Jesus was the Jewish Mashiach, what we call Mashiach, the Jewish Messiah. Does that make sense? As we go through the points, I think we'll become clearer the difference, the difference between saying that Jesus could not be... I mean, it could be anything. You know, it could be for another religion. I'm not commenting on that. It's not the point of, this cl of the class. The point is to talk that for our religion, that's not possible. Okay. So let's turn to uh, source number one. You, if you look in the sources throughout the prophets, Zechariah, Yeshayahu, um, Tzephania, you're going to find passages all over Tanakh, all over the Bible, not in the five, very little in the five books of Moses, some references, but not really an explanation of what would really happen in times of Mashiach. But if you look in many, many places in Tanakh, it talks about different things that will happen when the Mashiach comes, when the Messiah comes. I gave you one example in source number one, but there are many, and we're going to see a bunch of other ones that are used. Uh, so don't, don't take any example or any quote we're saying here as to be an exhaustive list. I couldn't possibly be exhaustive list. All the places in Tanakh where it talks about what will happen when Mashiach comes. We're going to we'll see through our sources what a picture of what Mashiach should be like and whether a person like Jesus could have fulfilled, could have been that person known as the Mashiach. Okay. So let's, uh, let's start with source number one. Source number one um, is just an example of where Yeshayahu Isaiah talks about what will happen in the times of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, when Mashiach comes, what will it look like? And when we read, and so you should know all of the all of the English translations of Tanakh, of the Bible here, I got they're all JPS translations. Okay. Anybody? Oh, I thought you said JPS. That too. Anybody? Okay. Alright. And it shall come to pass in the end of days. <clears throat> that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established at the top of the mountains and shall be exalt, exalted above the hills 
and all nations shall flow onto it. What's the mountain of the Lord? Uh, Sinai. Not Sinai. You're right. Mountain of the Lord was where, it's, where the that would be where the Torah was given, but we don't even know where Sinai is anymore. Well, that's true. I mean, right. what, yeah. So, what other mountain could be the mountain of the Lord? Temple, Temple Mount, Mount Moriah, okay. Mount Moriah, Harabayat. Exactly. So, the, so the Harabayat will become this place where all the nations will come to. Yeah, keep on going. And many people shall go and say, "Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob." And he, sh- and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. Many peoples, right? Many peoples. Is that just Jewish people? No. All peoples of the world. All the nations of the world are going to come, go to the Harabayas. Even says, go to the house of God. In other places, we're right written that, that the Mashiach needs to build a temple in Jerusalem. But certainly, certainly, um, sorry, we're out. Um, but certainly to, everyone will come there. All right, keep on going. Keep on going. Mitch can't read, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's not familiar. Kimitzion teitzei Torah Rashi Mirshalim, right? So that's a okay. And he shall judge between the nations, and and shall decide for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into curling hooks. Pruning hooks. Pruning hooks. She doesn't have the glasses. <laughs> 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 nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Okay, so a number of things are going to happen here, right? The base of Middash will be rebuilt, the Temple of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, all the nations of the world will come there to learn, to, he, to, to, to be in the presence of God. We're going to have. Um, some type of judgment, okay? But there's also going to be this, the famous that they'll beat their sword, their, all the weapons will be destroyed, right? Because they we will, there will no longer be any war in the world, okay? So we have a time of, of, of peace, we're going to have a time of the base of Migdash will be rebuilt, and all the nations of the world will come to the mountain, to come to Harabayas to gather and before God. But this is just, again, just one example. We're going to have other things we'll talk about as we move on, which will give us more, even more details as to the different things that are supposed to happen at the time of Mashiach. It, yeah, Mitch? You know, the biggest problem I have with some of these things is that it's all looked at that someone will come. Okay. And there's another take that I've that read in, in philosophical, theological uh, literature that, that when everyone accepts the teachings of God, not an individual, mm-hmm. therefore a natural outcome will be that there's no war. Not that the arrival of this individual. Of this individual. I mean, we'll see through the sources that it's, that it's very focused on, the, on an individual who will begin the process. And, he will, and there needs to be an individual called the Mashiach who will help this process happen. You're right, it's not going to happen just because he's there, but it will be ushered in through this person. You'll see as we, get, we go along. Fine. So number two, that's, again, I could have brought you 30 different sources that talk about different things like this, but that's just one. The question then becomes, now, what are the quali- qualifications for a person to be considered the Mashiach. What does a person have to do in order to be considered as such? Hey, how are you? Come on in. I'm sorry, we don't have for Allah's sheets. So. Okay. So, we're going to see a number of them. Okay? And again, each one of these is sourced in Tanakh in a different place, telling us that the Mashiach will do the following things. Okay? Source number two, somebody? Yechesko? Anybody? More, you want to read it? No? Okay. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, which will be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will establish them and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My dwelling place also shall be over them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the sanctified Israel. Okay, so again, before we quote it, just to remember, we quoted Isaiah 2, 2-4, and now we're quoting Ezekiel 37, 26-28. In um, this source, it says clearly, right? And, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. Right? My sanctuary being the temple, right? The third base of Mikdash, which will be, again, when the, when the Mashiach comes, there will be another base of Mikdash in Jerusalem. Fine. Again, dwelling place shall be over them. 
a number of places. Clearly, um, Yechezkel prophesizing that there will be a temple when the Mishiach comes. Fine, good. Source number three. It's another thing the Mishiach needs to do. Right. So this is what we call kibbutz galiot. Right. That at the time of Mashiach, all of the Jewish people will come back to the land of Israel, and we will gather from all over the world. Right. What you might notice is that there are certain things. Right. That we're going to talk about. This is not going to be our topic for tonight. Um, but there are certain things in here that we're going to see are, some people would say, are starting to happen. Right. This concept of all the Jewish people coming back to the land of Israel, pretty soon we're going to have the majority of the Jewish people in the world will live in the land of Israel. So these things are happening, starting to happen now, but again, the question we're going to ask ourselves is, did it happen 2,000 years ago? And the answer is going to be no. So, um, again, so that was just a quote from Isaiah 43, 1 through 6, but the, the point being again, that the second or another requirement to be the Mashiach is that there has to be some type of regathering of all the Jews back to the land of Israel. Fine. Requirement number four, or number three, from Yeshayahu, Isaiah 2 4. Anybody? And he shall judge between the nations and shall judge for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares in this fear. The pruning of nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they run war anymore. Good. We saw that before, right? We saw this before that again, world peace, that there won't be any wars anymore. Right, certainly, not, we're not there yet, and we've never, we've never been there, right? Mirit Hashem, please God, it should happen, but we're not there yet. Right, but again, this is going to be something, except I think in Australia. I heard a report that in Australia, they, I don't know if it was in all of Australia, I assume not, but in a certain place, everyone handed in their guns and they melted them down, so, which is a nice... Uh, what? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I just heard recently a report like this, so I don't know, whatever. But anyways, right, good, fine. The Mashiach is supposed to bring world peace. These things sound like bizarre. How could that possibly happen? Right? That's why it's called. That's why it's called the Mashiach. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a new type of existence. And D, right? Source number five, Zechariah fourteen one and nine, that, that the Mashiach needs to bring the knowledge of one God to the entire world. Behold, a day of the Lord cometh, when thy spoil shall be divided into the midst of thee, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. And that day shall the Lord be one, and His name one. We're very familiar with this line from Malini, right? Right, that God's name will be one. What we say every day, that God must be one. The concept that when the Mashiach comes, it's not only, and if we say this many, many times in the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur davening, also, right? We talk about God being the Melech specifically on Rosh Hashanah, and we speak about God being the Melech, God being the King over the world. And we dive in then many times. There's a whole long, or instead of just saying the regular Atakadosh, this very short paragraph, the third, par- the third blessing in the, in the Amidah. So instead we see this very long one. It's many different paragraphs. And that, the whole theme of that paragraph is that God is going to be the Melech. Everyone, everyone will recognize it. Not just that the Jewish people will recognize it, but the whole world will recognize that there's one God. And that's the, the ultimate in uh, the Messianic time. Okay. So at this point, we have, right, we have brought four, right, four qualifications for the Mashiach to be considered, or any person to be considered Mashiach. These aren't the only qualifications, but these are four of them, things he needs to do. He needs to build a temple in Yerushalayim, he needs to gather all the Jews back from the land of Israel, he needs to bring peace to the entire world, there's no more war at all in the world, and he needs to bring knowledge of one God to the entire world. Okay? Based on these requirements, so those who come to argue that Jesus is not a Mashiach, right, I'm a Jewish Messiah, will argue that none of these things happen yet. Right? There's still war in his time. Right? The Jews had just been, or were when would become eventually kicked out of the land of Israel. Right? They're not gathered back. 
didn't happen until 2,000 years later, that we start, even begin to be gathered back. Always very, very small numbers of Jews living in the land of Israel. Number three, certainly was no world peace. Um, after the time of Jesus, there's continued war for centuries and centuries until this very day. And certainly, we're getting closer to D. Uh, there are those who could argue that the creation of Islam, and even, again, this would be a dispute, um, again, in terms of how one views one God versus the Trinity. But if one views the Trinity as still being basically one God, you have the vast majority of the world does believe in one God right now. Right? The number of people who are Muslims, the number of people who are Christians, and plus the Jews, you've got a, a very large, large number of people who do believe in one God. Again, we're not there yet, though. The whole world does not believe in one God. So, and certainly didn't then. Um, Islam had not, would not begin for another few hundred years. So, at this point, the argument would be that certainly at that time, um, no person, right? It's not, this isn't really a, a knock on Jesus per se. Not, it's not saying that he was a terrible person or a bad person or not a prophet or nothing, any of those things. We're just saying, bottom line, there are certain requirements to be considered the Mashiach. He couldn't have, it's not possible. If all these things are supposed to happen and none of them happened, how could you argue that this person was the Mashiach? Okay? First of all, as we're going on, just to make it clear, this is still like our regular yeshiva night. Yeah, questions or comments or keep them, you know, coming. I feel like I've been talking too long. But, uh, yeah, probably. So, um, but, oh, no one's going to know. No, is it? Yeah. Sorry, no, you don't have to worry. No I'm not posting on the internet or anything. Just one person wanted, wanted to record and they want to hear later. I'll say your name and social security number when you, when you answer a question. I was talking to one of, one of my Christian friends that I work with yeah. who happens to be a Baptist. Okay. And her explanation was that, and I told her what the topic was tonight. Good, okay. okay. And her explanation was that she believes and that she was taught that Jesus was the Messiah and although none of those things that we talked about, because I brought up some of them, but not right. all of them, uh-huh. talking, have happened, that Jesus did not come for that purpose. Okay. He, the sole purpose that Jesus came for was to die on the cross to Atone absolve for them of their sins. Right. And when he comes for us too, back, apparently, right? And when he comes back, right. that's when these things are going to happen. Good. Well, okay, so but this is a very important point. Everything that Jesus this is a very important point, and this is the question of the second coming. And ha- that, that the argument, I believe, again, and my arguments when I explain what Christianity says are not official because I'm not an expert in Christianity. Um, I, I, I come as hopefully somewhat of I know Judaism. Christianity I know from what I read. Um, but from what I understand, the response to what we just said is the second coming. Right? Jesus will come back. And when, he's, when he comes back, all of those things will happen. No problem. We got a Messiah. So I, what I, at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about the second coming because the second coming is a very important, um, the, the reason why we don't believe in a second coming um, is important. And it's important not just for the question of Jesus, it's important also for the question of? For the Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe. Right? Those who argue the Lubavitcher Rebbe is the Mashiach have the same questions. Right? All these questions apply to the Lubavitcher Rebbe as well. Not him but to those who believe that he is, or was, or will be, the Mashiach. Right? That's problematic for all the reasons we're laying out here as well. Again, it's not our topic per se, but it, they go together. Any discussion about Lubavitcher being Mashiach always quotes questions about why Jesus is not the Messiah. It's just, they go together. Some of the sources I brought for, which I'm going to bring for this question, I got from a book written by Dr. David Berger about how Lubavitcher cannot be the Mashiach. These things go together. So there's certainly uh, a connection to them. Okay. Let's go. And I didn't want to spend a, a lot of time on this part because um, you can, you know, banter this stuff back and forth. But it is interesting. Um, there are a number of sources that are off-quoted to explain, to prove that, geez, that there's, you know, parts of the Tanakh which refer to um, the Mashiach and Jesus had a life just like that and so it must be that he's the Mashiach. Right? And we're going to quote just two of them for now, um, which are quoted, but they're misquotes if you look in the Hebrew. So let's look at source number six. 
Um, source number six is a quote from Isaiah 7.14, Yeshehu Perak Zion, Pasuk Yodalit, which says what? Let's look at it in Hebrew, and we'll look at it then in English. Shalom, you want to read the Hebrew? Sure. <laughs> okay. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, let's, let's say, the Alma shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay? This is the verse which is supposed to be proving the virgin birth. The word that's used is the word Alma. The word Alma throughout Tanakh in many places refers to a young woman. A woman who's not married. There's a very specific word that is used for a virgin who's a virgin. And a woman who's a virgin in Hebrew. And that's the word Bitula. Bitula. As we see in source number 7. Source number 7 is a, a verse from Genesis 24.16. A verse from Parshish Chaisara. Right, when they go out, he goes out to find uh, Rivka. Right? Eliezer goes to find a wife for, for uh, Yitzchak, for Isaac. And he goes and he finds this girl, this young woman, whose name is Rivka. And what does he say? tovat She's very pretty. She's a very pretty girl. Bitula. Right? She was a virgin. Ve'ish lo Right? No man had known her. Ve'teret ha'ayna. And she went down to the fountain. Ve'tamalek ha'davatal. And she fills her pitcher and she comes up and she fulfills the, the request that Eliezer had made this deal with God. You know, find a woman who goes and she, feeds, she gives me water and my camel's water and she does it. But the point is that this girl is referred to specifically as a virgin. And what word is used? Bitula. That is the word for virgin. The word alma does not necessarily connote Virgin, it could, but it doesn't have to mean that. And to assume that this is a proof, 100% proof, of the virgin birth is just not honest, I think, an honest approach with the, with the Hebrew language. Um, could it mean virgin? I guess it could. It's never used that way anywhere else. But the point is not that it's definitely wrong. The point is that it's just not, you can't use that as a proof. Um, regardless, there's no requirement, it's just interesting, and I was thinking about this as I was going through it, and I, I didn't really see anyone talk about it. There's no requirement for the Jewish Messiah to be born of a virgin. There's no such, we don't have any tradition like that, it's not, it's not written anywhere in the Tanakh that the person who will be the Mashiach will be born in some supernatural way. It's actually the opposite. Generally, the, the Mashiach is believed to be a regular human being, he's born of a man and a woman, and well, then, he's not supernatural. He doesn't have any godlike qualities, any more than any of us have godlike qualities, which we all do. But he's not any more godly than any other person. And so this, this concept of the virgin birth, so fine, it, we're saying that it doesn't really necessarily, you don't have to say that this verse is a proof. But to be honest, to me, the whole concept of virgin birth doesn't prove or disprove anything. Even if it was true, it doesn't, it's still not the Jewish Messiah. Because the Jewish Messiah, we don't have any any tradition that he must be born of a woman who a woman who's a virgin. Fine. Um, questions? Okay. Um, what if I shut the thing off? You have questions? What does that What does that have to do with the proofs? This is this is so this is, this verse. Yeah, it. this is Isaiah seven fourteen is used as a proof that the Tanakh talks no, about Jesus as a. That's just finding the word Mesula. Oh, seven? Yeah. yeah, it's just showing that the, wor- the word for virgin is basula. The word is not ama. Okay. Um, okay. Source number eight is another verse, and this is from um, Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the famous um, suffering servant um, parak chapter in Tanakh, in Isaiah, which is apparently, again, supposed to be referring to Jesus having suffered and been... Uh, suffering on, and therefore on, on behalf of the rest of the people and that he ends up dying for our sins. So if you look in source number eight, someone want to read it? From the travail of the soul we shall see to the fold. Even my servant who by his knowledge justifies the righteous one through many okay. So, first of all, we should just point out um, that this entire parak is, this entire chapter is 
um, often explained to be referring to a person who will come and suffer and be beaten down and broken down and he's, he's beat up and, right? Many commentaries explain that this is actually, that this whole chapter in Yeshayahu follows a chapter that comes before it, which is talking, referring to the Jewish people as my servant. Referred in many places, B'nai Yisrael are, are, are referred to in many places, not so much in the five books of Moses, but very often in Tanakh and the other books referred to as, in the singular, as my servant. And there are many commentaries who believe that this, that this um, chapter is not referring to the Mashiach, it's referring to the Kali Yisrael as a whole, the Jewish people. And that this is the nations of the world talking about how they beat down the Jewish people and they're amazed at some point how they're able to stand up. There are some commentaries, to be honest about it, there are some commentaries who do believe that this should, that this verse, this chapter is referring to the Mashiach. But nevertheless, we're going to see that the argument that's made that and their iniquities he did bear, right? That's explained usually to mean that Jesus dies for everyone else's sins. There's only one theological, Jewish theological problem with that concept. What's the Jewish theological problem with the concept of Jesus dying for my sins? Can't do it. Can't do it. Why not? Because I got to atone for my own sins. Right. Everyone's responsible for themselves. That's a fundamental Jewish belief. Not that, again, I'm not proving to you that the words can't mean that. Maybe the words, if you read them, would officially, you could say, literally would mean that. But they can't really mean that because it would be against all of Jewish theology, which is, look at source number nine. Right? The Pasuk says in Dvarim, and Deuteronomy 24.16 Fathers do not die on the account of their children. Neither shall children be put to death for their fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin. That we're required, we're, we are responsible for our own actions. And the concept that one person can be tortured and killed and then the rest of us don't have to worry as long as we believe in him. We don't have to worry about our own misgivings is not a Jewish belief. Again, could it be a Christian belief? Sure, that's okay. But it's not a Jewish belief. And therefore, again, yeah. Don't we also have though, a tradition, though, that, that the future generations are held accountable for the sins of the previous generation? Yes. Yes. We talk about it, right. So, right, that, that we can sometimes be punished because of the things that happened before us. And we have the concept even of right? That the merit of our fathers, if our, if our, that we, we daven that we're the you know, children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? So how does that work? So generally the, ex- the explanation is, certainly when it comes to um, things continuing down, is that if we continue in that path, we're held responsible if we don't change it. Right? You might think right, that, what do you want from me? I, I was brought up this way, and that's what, I'm doing the same thing that I was taught. And the answer is no. You're, if you don't change it, you'll have responsible. It's very similar to what we say about that every generation, the Gemara says every generation doesn't build the temple in Jerusalem as if we destroyed it. What do you mean? It wasn't built. I didn't knock it down. And she says, no, it's our job to put the brakes on and to change the, and to change the attitude and to change the approach. If we don't do so, we'll have to contemplate. But it's an excellent, it's an, it's a good question. Be like Shemayim, not from mortal hands that they could be killed. There's no connection that yeah, that's definitely true. But again, we're talking here. Yeah. Um, I think also there's a difference. This I haven't seen, but in theory, I would, I would say this. There's a difference between a community being held accountable in a certain way, right? And the difference between a, a specific person. Right? That, I, that I should be punished because my grandfather did X or Y, or that, or that I'm not punished because my grandfather did X or Y is more difficult than saying that maybe there's a certain merit that is given to the community based on certain things. But even, even when we daven and we ask for the merit of our fathers, we're, we're saying to God, we're willing to change. Right? We don't come to God on, on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur and say, I'm not going to change, but because Abraham was a good guy, take care of me. No. It's that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change, I'm going to do better, I'm going to repent because it's my responsibility. But, you know, help me out here because the truth is I also have people who came before me who did a pretty good job. So there's, there's still that, that responsibility. Again, yeah. But you need to be in a service, 
school to vote. It means not just because my fathers were good, I'm going to get their school. I need to be entitled to get this school to vote. Right, right. I have to, to be praying in the first place, to be asking for it. And to, right, correct. Good. I mean, just to further that point, source number 10, so you have a Pasuk in Yechezkel, Ezekiel 33.11 and 33.19. Anybody? Say unto them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? And when the wicked turns from the wickedness, and does that which is lawful and right, when does a person get their lot changed? When? When they do tshuva. When they repent on their own. When I take responsibility for my own actions and I say to God, I'm sorry, I'm going to do better, God says, okay, let's keep going. If I decide not to do that, God says, fine. We'll do it that way. But it's up to me. It's not up to anybody else. And it's not based on something that some other person did. Okay. Um, okay. The Rambam here, look at source number, number, number four. And the Rambam and the Ramban, Maimonides and Nachmanides, um, the Rambam actually has an entire chapter in, uh, sorry, entire section of the Mishnah Torah, his, his epic work. 14 book work on all the laws and the entire Torah basically um, he takes an entire an entire section the, the fourth chapter of Hilchos Malach and the fourth chapter of the laws of the kings where he speaks there are only four laws in it and the entire thing is dedicated to this topic the topic of what's going to happen when the Mashiach comes and he mentions at the end we'll see why Jesus cannot be that person and he's going to reference at the same time this question of the second coming and the Ramban, Nachmanis as well, we're going to see also um, a line from him also referencing it, and then we'll talk about some more ideas also. Okay. Um, someone else want to read? So you start reading some of this? For item? In the future, the Messianic king will arise and renew the Davidic dynasty, restoring it to its initial sovereignty. He will build the temple and gather the dispersed of Israel. Then, in the previous days, the observance of all the statues will return to their previous state. He will offer sacrifices, observe the sabbatical and jubilee years according to all their particulars as described by the Torah. Okay, so stop there for one second. There's a very important thing that you said here, um, which we didn't mention before necessarily, is that the perp- what's going to happen when the Mashiach comes is there's going to be strengthening of Judaism. Right? All of the laws we didn't have until we can't do at this point, all of the mitzvah, the commandments we can't fulfill, will come back. There's going to be a strengthening now. Right? All of the statutes will return to their previous state. A strengthening of the halacha, a strengthening of Jewish practice. What, happened at the t- uh, what happens if, again, if, if in fact there's a belief that Christianity is the new Israel, what happens to all of the Torah, all of the mitzvot? Where do they all go? They're all gone. Right? Some of them stay, but for the most part, right? There's no Christian person that I know who puts on tefillin in the morning. Or shakes a lulav on on on, pass, on, on, on Sukkot. Okay, so remember. <laughs> okay, but je- right, generally the 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 rejection of the mitzvot is the opposite of what should happen when the Mashiach comes. When the Mashiach Mashiach comes, when the Mashiach comes, you can't. That's what's going to happen is even more. There'll be more mitzvot. Yes, yeah. so, Rabbi. <clears throat> Let me ask you, uh, with the Jewish traditions, yeah. uh, are there not two Jewish traditions of uh, Yeshua ben Yosef and Yeshua uh, ben David? Right, the Mashiach ben Yosef. Yes. So these two messiahs, in the representation of, of what what we play in mm-hmm. part two, uh, how, how do you explain Joseph versus Yosef? The Mashiach ben Yosef? Yes. Mashiach ben Yosef is supposed to be, um, from what I understand, a person who comes before the real Messiah. Mashiach and Yosef is actually supposed to die. Supposed to die in battle. In the great battle of Gog and Magog. And that, the, where the, you know, whatever, the great, uh, the great war that's supposed to happen at the end of the days, Mashiach and Yosef is supposed to die at that point during that, during that um, battle. After he's come and kind of sort of set the stage in a certain sense, then the, the actual Mashiach and David 
right, the Mashiach, the son of David, he comes afterwards and does all of this. So you're right, the other question that people would ask is, where was Mashiach ben Yosef? If this, if this person, if Jesus is supposed to be Mashiach ben David, he's supposed to be the Messiah, we never saw Mashiach ben Yosef. We never saw this person in the first place. But, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the... Half it's in. Does that make sense? Okay. I just wanted to hear some of the... No, yeah, yeah. Because I agree with you, you know, the church at large, mm-hmm. the, the body of Messiah that claimed to be uh, followers in uh, Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, they do, you know, they're, they're, they're blinded in, in a sense because they don't have to, you know, the replacement theology uh, that has crept in even right from the very get-go in mm-hmm. the second century and built for these 2,000 years. Uh, but I think as, as the Messiah himself, I can't, I can't, personally, I can't see anybody in history, Jewish or Christian, other than Jesus himself, was able to be able to bring a, such a prominence to, be, to the nations, to be able to bring the understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the word of God, the oneness, you know, I mean, there's many in that. I mean, we're, we're one nation, but we're mm-hmm. many people in a nation. Mm-hmm. So uh, the definition of the, the theology of, of working that word down to one right. is the definition of how I believe the Christians have to come to, to terms to, to the aspect of really uh, getting a grasp of what the Hebrew meanings actually meant. And, right. uh, you know, we've been so far away and uh, the Jewish people, God has granted them because they took the Torah and to be able to take all those precepts and they were supposed to be the priests and the, uh, right. to be able to teach the nations. Right. But, you know, uh, over the last 2,000 years, that just hasn't happened because right. of, of, of certain kind of incidents. But it has, in my thoughts, is I see Jesus as that Yeshua and Yosef. Uh-huh. And and uh, Mishiach Joseph, where he, you know we came right and lowly up in, in a horse on a donkey mm-hmm. into Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and but the nations still, you know, at that time two thousand years ago, I mean there wasn't many nations that believed in one God, right? I mean, even Roman Empire, but now right. we have through that event mm-hmm. we have many peoples and nations coming to believe and coming to the under- basic principles of the understanding of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right, so you're saying that maybe Jesus isn't Mashiach ben David, but maybe he could be Mashiach ben Yosef. And, and Interesting. In that second coming, we see him as Mashiach ben David. Jesus. Oh, that's interesting. So you're saying that maybe you could see that, that Jesus would be Mashiach ben Yosef, that he dies and he comes back as Mashiach ben David. So we're going to talk about why that can't be in a, in a, in a Jewish, um, in Jewish theology. Why the person who is going to be the Mashiach cannot die, and then come back as a Mashiach. We're going to see in a minute why, why the sources say that, that that's not possible. It's an interesting concept. It's not the accepted Jewish tradition of him being Mashiach, even being Mashiach ben Yosef. Um, probably because the Mashiach ben Yosef would also, again, I'm not, I haven't done as much research as the Mashiach ben Yosef, but also is to be a person who abides by the halacha, the, the law, right, the Jewish law. Um, he's a person, and I believe that there are um, references in the, in the New Testament to Jesus desecrating the Sabbath, and that the Pharisees. I, I, have, to, I have to get the. I didn't mean to source me. Find those for me because everything that I've seen. I can find it for you. you. Know, he, he's not. He's, he actually encourages his disciples to be. Able so to I'll find the source for you. I saw a source last night where Jesus grind, uh, He makes a paste on Shabbos, um, which violates one of the thirty-nine prohibited um, actions on Shabbos. And the story is the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees who were the Jews, scream at him. He's breaking the Shabbos, he's breaking the Shabbos. I believe this is a story in the New Testament. I have to check. But if that's, you know, and and certainly if he prophesied and, um, again, I don't know, I'm not an expert in in the New Testament, but if he he encouraged any um, breaking of the Jewish, Jewish laws, we're going to see in a minute, that would disqualify him also as even being a prophet. So, uh, well, the idea is interesting. I think it's going to be proven to be not correct, certainly within the Jewish, Jewish tradition, and certainly a person who would die and then be resurrected, even if it's at the time of you know, the resurrection of the dead, could not be the Mashiach, and we'll see why in a minute. Okay. But, but it's interesting. Thought. Okay.
So let's keep on going. Him being the Mashiach, the real Mashiach, okay? Denied not only the statements of the other prophets, but those of the Torah and most of our teachers. The Torah testified to his coming, as Deuteronomy 33-5 states, God will bring back your captivity and have mercy upon you. He will again gather you from among the nations. Even if your diaspora is at the ends of the heavens, God will gather you up from there and bring you to the land. These explicit words of the Torah include all the statements made by all the prophets. There is no need to cite proofs from the works of the prophets, for all their books are filled with mentions of this matter. So again, his Where point... Where does that line state it's an individual? What? That line doesn't state that it's an individual. It's the same with Mashiach. If, if, if Ramah uses that line, it doesn't state God will provide okay. an individual. Okay, okay, so let's keep so on... So it, it goes back to the concept of, if everyone turns, if we all keep Shabbat, if the world turns to ethical monotheism, all the other things will flow naturally from that. Where in the Torah, in not the Torah? The prophets, does it say that it's an individual? In the Torah, I don't think it says the individual. In the Torah, in the five books of Moses, in the Torah itself, I don't think it says that it's going to be an individual. I don't think so it says it all that. comes from prophecy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now that's for sure. Where, where, in, where in the, where in the Nevi'im does it say he's going to be a person? Um, I don't have. What? It's not even clear in there. What in the Rambam? No, 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 no. In the Rambam, it's very clear. Yeah, but in the Nevi'im also. And, it, and if, and to be honest, if Yeshayahu Nun Gimel is about the Mashiach, which some some commentators do say. Then it's clearly referring to a person. Okay. Then, then it's certainly. Yeah. Right? Correct. Just, correct. Uh, I'll have to do. Let me. I'll do some research on that and get and find you. Know, you find it, you. It, There's it, so it, many. There's there duality many. in the concept of Mashiach. Okay. It's. It is. There is not, as far as I know, any, any valid, um, any accepted, commentary who would argue that this, that Mashiach will not be a person. Um, I think everyone believes Mashiach will be a person. I just have to find you a source that, that tells you, uh, besides the Rambam and the, and the Ramban, who we'll tell you right now. Right. Besides the Rambam, them, quote, I'll, f- I'll find you a quote. Right, so I'll find you a quote. I'll, I'll try my best to find you a quote from Tanakh, which tells you that's a person besides Yeshayu Nungimel, which could very, very well be it. But if it's not, I will, I will try to find you another, another source of that. Thank you. Okay, so let's keep on going. One should not presume that the Messianic King must work miracles and wonders, bring about new phenomena in the world, resurrect the dead, or perform other similar deeds. This is definitely not true. Oh, so the Mashiach does not have to be a super, a super power guy. Right? Okay. Proof can be brought from the fact that Rabbi Akiva, one of the greater sages of the Mishnah, was one of the supporters of King Bar Kozeva. Otherwise known as Bar Kochva. Right? Rabbi Akiva thought that Bar Kochva, who was just, uh, Bar Kochva was a general, really. After, right after the destruction of the first temple, at the second temple, excuse me, Bar Kokhba, there was a Bar Kokhba rebellion. Right? And he, they tried one last shot at knocking out the Romans, and, and Rabbi Kiva really believed that Bar Kokhba was going to be the Mashiach, and that, that we had the second temple had just been destroyed, Bar Kokhba was going to come in, he was the Mashiach, and we're going to knock him down, and he was going to, we were going to re- rebuild the third temple immediately right then. Okay. We describe him as the Messianic king. He and all the sages of his generation considered him to be the messianic king until he was killed because of sins. Once he was killed, they realized that he was not the Mashiach. The sages did not ask him for any signs or wonders. Okay, so two points being made here. Number one, that the being Mashiach has nothing to do with being some type of, you know, Navi, a prophet who does all kinds of wonders and proves to everyone that he's a Navi. That's not even the point. You don't even have to be a Navi, sounds like. Right? Nevertheless, and second point, which is a very important one, and this is stressed um, by many, once he was killed, that was it. Once Bar died, no one said, "Well, maybe he'll come back and he'll be, and he really will be the Mashiach." That was it. Once he died, everyone presumed at that moment that there's no lo- it's no longer possible for Bar to be the Mashiach. Why? Because someone who dies cannot be Mashiach. Okay, let's keep on going. The main thrust of the matter is the Torah, its statutes, and its laws are everlasting. We may not add to them or detract from them. Okay, also a very another important statement. That if, if this Mashiach had really come, he would not lead to, whether it's even himself arguing for the detraction from the mitzvot, from the commandments, or whether it's his followers and everyone who, who believes in him being the Mashiach, it results in what? 
pulling away from the Torah and mitzvos. That can't be the Mashiach, because the Mashiach is going to do the opposite. Okay. If a king will arise from the house of David who diligently contemplates the Torah and observes the mitzvot as prescribed by the written law and the oral law, as David, his ancestor, will compel all of Israel to walk in the ways of the Torah and rectify the breaches in its observance and fight the wars of God, we may with assurance consider him Mashiach. Interesting, right? Because his point is, this is Bar Kokhba. Bar Kokhba was a from guy, right? He kept all the mitzvot. He fought wars. Right? He waged the war. Again, this is one of the arguments that they make against the Lubavitcher Rebbe, even though it's interesting that they refer to the Lubavitcher Hasidim as the Rebbe's army. Yeah, the Rebbe's soldiers, the Rebbe's army. Interesting, right? They, and that's one of the arguments they make, is that, that the Lubavitcher Rebbe, he waged war, but not actual war. It's like, okay, right? It says very clearly he needs to wage war, okay? If he succeeds in the above, builds a temple in its place, and gathers the dispersed of Israel, he is definitely the ah, So there's two, sta- there's two stages. There's the person who's like, we call, we call him uh, Muchzak, I believe, as Mashiach. You can assume that, thank you, Chesed, thank you, Chesed is Mashiach. That he's, you can assume he's Mashiach, but again, not until he builds a temple and gathers the dispersed of Israel, then certainly that person is Mashiach. And that's what he needs. Okay? He will then improve the entire world, motivating all the nations to serve God together, as Zephania 3.9 states, how transform the people to a pure language, that they all will call upon the name of God and serve Him with one purpose. If He did not succeed to this degree or was killed, He surely is not the Redeemer promised by the Torah. Rather, He should be considered as all the other proper and complete kings of the Davidic dynasty who died. Right. Once He dies, again, repeats the same point. Once He dies, it's over. Now, Fascinating that the Rambam now goes into and he discusses Jesus, Jesus specifically. Jesus of Nazareth, who aspired to be the Mashiach, was executed by the court, was also alluded to in Daniel's prophecies, Exhibit 11 and 14 states, The vulgar among your people shall exalt themselves in an attempt to fulfill the vision, but they shall stumble. So he's saying that Daniel actually prophesied that there will be a person like Jesus who will save the Mashiach but will be wrong. I guess it also prophesies Shabbat Tzvi who also comes in the 1600s, says he's the Messiah, and he's wrong. Okay. Can there be a greater stumbling block than Christianity? All the prophets spoke of Mashiach as the Redeemer of Israel and their Savior who would gather their dispersed and strengthen their observance of the mitzvah. In contrast, Christianity caused the Jews to be slain by the sword, their remnants to be scattered and humbled, the Torah to be altered, and the majority of the world to err and serve a God other than the Lord. Okay. Very clearly, the Rambam also is assuming his point is that Christianity, a point of what he believes, is not service of one God. That a service of a three-part God is not a service of one God. We'll talk about that, that more in a minute, hopefully. But it's clearly he's, the Ram saying that, again, very clearly saying, none of these things happen. And if nothing else, what happened to the Jews afterwards was much worse. Okay. Let's see one more, one more source here. And this is Nachmanides. Yeah, what do you have there? Okay. Um, Nachmanides, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman lived in Spain and in Israel, so he was involved in many pla- uh, very often, not more than once, I believe, in uh, disputations between himself and the kings at the time and, uh, and the, the different leaders of the Catholic Church. Um, so this is that they have in the Ramban himself, he has his, the arguments that he made um, to the king. Anybody? Go ahead, Mark. Louder, louder. Messiahship. Speaking to the king. I guess the Ramban was also funny. 
Right. He's saying, right? He's saying, you can imagine, King, if there was no war, you would have no, you'd have nothing to do, right? You'd have to sit and watch football. There'd be nothing to do. The point being, right, as he says, there's all, all things we've said before, but when the Ramban says it, he's a little more strength than when, you know, when I say it. So, um, that, it, that is what we have in terms of the sources. Um, I want to mention a couple other things. Number one, there's a Midrash in Breshish Rabbah, which also says, and it quotes that, and the quote is as follows, Our father Jacob saw Samson, right, Shimshon, and thought that he was the king Messiah. So apparently, Yaakov, Avinu, has a, has a nevuah, has a prophecy, back all the times when he was alive. And he sees a vision, the Midrash says, of Shimshon, who's going to come many thousand years later. Right? And... But then it says, once he saw that he died in the prophecy, he saw that Samson, right, Samson dies, he, he uh, breaks apart the, the, the pillars and the Colosseum falls on him, and he dies, and he says, once that happened, he said, this one too has died. For your salvation I wait, O Lord. The Midrash very, I think, very clear. Once he saw that Shimshon died, he said, okay, I guess the, we'll have to wait for the Mashiach to come. A person who dies and does not do the job, cannot be the Mashiach. It's, it's actually fascinating. Um, you mentioned that, again, this is one of the big arguments against those who believe that the, that the Lubavitch Rebbe is the Mashiach. The RCA, the Rabbinical Council of America, passed a, passed a, um, which is like the council for say, the modern Orthodox rabbis in, in, the, in the United States. They passed a, um, what do you call it? A, Anything else? Policy. Policy. Policy would be good. When I applied to the RCA, they adopted a policy. It's not really a policy. That's why. But, okay. Now you have a Hebrew for it. Basically, they made a statement. They made a statement. They said in the statement that to be, that the, the Rabbinical Council of America believes and holds that as a Jewish belief that a person who dies in an unredeemed world cannot be considered the Messiah. So it wasn't meant for that, but it's a requirement now, when I apply to be a member of the RCA, you have to check a box which says that you believe that statement. Okay? This, this is why... This is why... Actually, a Christian idea. This is why... This is why... Um, these ideas are not just important in terms of understanding Judaism um, vis-a-vis Christianity. It's important, again, and I'm not talking, I'm not, this is not a, a class about Chabad, and I'm not getting into that, but it's just interesting. It's not just some idea and some crazies think this thing. and It's a, it's a serious issue. Right? The belief that he could come back and be the Mashiach seems to be against, very traditional, against the Rambam, right? it's against the Medrash, they virtually no sources that support this concept of a person who's dead coming back and being the Mashiach. So it's just important to, to, to have that in mind in general. Fine. But I want to just focus on one other point. One other point? Uh, a couple other points before you end. Number one, the idea that Jesus could change halacha. Yeah. Well, they will at the time of the Mashiach. So maybe he'll be the first one. Maybe he'll be the first one. And then he'll... That's an interesting point. You're saying, like, there has to be an assumption that he'll come back to life. That's a good point. I don't know. But maybe, I, I, maybe that's the... Maybe. What? Okay, you have stories in the Gemara about people being brought back, brought back to life, right? Uh, the story, the Perm story, Rab and Rivzera. The rabbi killed Rivzera and he brought him back to life, I guess. Okay. Interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure. That's a good point. Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. What about the fact that, again, that Jesus or his followers could have advocated the change of halacha? Right? That, that the halacha would change. So this is a big problem for any prophet. Um, as the verse in Devarim, Deuteronomy 13, 2 through 4, tell us that any person who claims to be a Navi, 
he claims to be a prophet. And his first thing he says is, doesn't have to be his first thing, let's go serve idol worship. You kill him right away. Right? He cannot be a Navi, he's not a prophet, and he's deserved of the death penalty. Presumably a person like that would not be allowed to be the Mashiach. Right? I'm not saying that, that Jesus necessarily advocated that, but if we argue that, that worship of a human being as, as, God, as God, or worship as a, of a three-part God, would be considered, for at least for Jews, to be considered avodah right, idolatry. So even advocating such a thing, and saying you're a prophet, and advocating idolatry would make you, uh, require, would, would make you uh, now crime uh, for capital punishment. Yeah? Not being Christian, I can't remember which book is first, whether it's Matthew or Mark, but whatever the first book is. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the first book is, in, I think it's chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Okay. I, I use this point frequently. Okay. He didn't get this in our house. Jesus is quoted as saying he did not come to change any of the old laws, not one two. Okay. Okay? And the only reason that I have found out, and I could right. be wrong, right. that modern Christians or Christians, you know, from 2,000 years ago, the only reason that they don't um, observe the Jewish laws, because there were Judeo-Christians at one time mm-hmm. that were observant, mm-hmm. and then there were Christian Christians who were non-observant, mm-hmm. was because Paul couldn't convert anybody when he told the, the, the Romans, you're going to have to do what to my right. what? Right. And so he said, well, you don't have to do that, mm-hmm. because only the Judeo-Christians have to do that. Okay. The converts from paganism don't have to follow the laws. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, that's what I've been told. I don't know how Factual, good, that good. Is. That's and that's fine. Yeah. That's actually the comment I was going to make is that um, I um, since we have the whole, I mean, we have questions about the specifics about Mashiach. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that Mashiach could come and be unsuccessful? That someone could come, could be a. I mean, is, 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 you could be a candidate. You could be a candidate for Michelle. In every generation, sure. Yeah. Thirty. Because it's really Paul that started Christianity. It wasn't Jesus. Because he changed everything. Oh, Paul changed everything. This didn't come from Jesus. Is it possible that Jesus was a candidate, but that he was unsuccessful in his mission? It's possible. First of all, again, I'm not going to argue whether the stories that we have about Jesus are true or untrue. I don't know. So I'm not going to make that statement about the are they aren't. If the arguments are that they are. This story, even about, which again, I have to get you a source on, of Jesus desecrating the Shabbos, would seemingly remove him from that possibility. Um, that would be true. Throwing all that out, say everything we know about Jesus is, is, is wrong, and really he was this fantastic, amazing, you know, uh, very religious personality. Could he have been a candidate for Mashiach? Sure. Right. Would, it, would it change anything? Right. No. He still failed in four guards. Exactly. Still failed. He could have met the qualifications. Correct. But according to what we could, it's still, he still failed. Right. And, and right. Like, the person who comes, is, the, the, when the Mashiach does come, the Mashiach does come to that, that um, they're supposed to make all these things happen, even if he originally came right. with that mission and with that capability, it can happen. So, exactly. Exactly. The redemption is what we want. We don't want the Mashiach. The goal right. is not to have the one charismatic personality. Bingo. The goal is to have the redemption. Bingo. And that's what Bingo. And that's and, and again, if these things wouldn't be true of Jesus, they would be true of Paul. Whoever they would be true of, meaning anytime you have prophecy or concepts that lead to a um, committing idol worship or saying at any point that the laws of the Torah are not valid anymore. Right? So not only do you violate a negative commandment of removing a law from the Torah, but again, a prophet who would do so, again, would be uh, sentenced to death. So the concept of removal of Torah and mitzvot, besides the fact that the, the easy part of what we said before, is that Mashiach is supposed to lead to more observance and a greater right, observance on the part of the Jewish people. And this is clearly not what happened with Jesus' followers, so that itself would 
yeah, would help. Make sure about the Rebbe as well. Yeah, but the Rebbe fits. Absolutely. The Rebbe because fits. The, the Rebbe. Rebbe he, right, right. He's dead. The argument also is that he built he built 770, which is like sort of uh-huh. a temple. I'm not killing you. He's this is probably the argument. It's probably the argument. Right, and that's what's, to be honest, what's chaval. What's very sad about it is that he maybe could have been. And now he's sort of being smeared. And hopefully we, when we take the, the concept of him being the Mashiach and say, okay, that we can't believe. But the fact that he was a tremendous Torah personality and did all kinds of amazing things to the Jewish people and his and things that he did continue to affect the Jewish people all over the world is certainly something to, to remember. Um, what, one last thing which I think is important is, um, and I've seen this mentioned also in connection with this discussion, is that generally Judaism, and this is what makes us different from all the other nations of the world, I think every single religion in the world, almost, or I think every single religion in the world, is that we don't believe our religion is not based on one person being told something. Or one person who leads us to, right? Uh, what about Moses? Yeah, but if we, on Shavuot, right, we read the story, Exodus 19, I believe, where God is very clear that God tells Moses, you come up to the mountain, everyone's going to listen to me talk to you, and they'll trust in you forever. Why? Not because Moses tells us so. We don't believe anything in the Torah because Moses told us so. We believe everything in the Torah because God told him in front of two million people. And we're the only ones who make such a claim. No other religion in the world argues that God spoke to all of us. They'll make claims that God spoke to one person and he was then told, given a prophecy, a vision where he's supposed to tell everyone something else. Right? Does this prove Judaism? No, I'm not here to prove Judaism. But it's an important point to think about. That bottom line, our belief starts, right? And the beginning of Torah and Mitzvah begins with God talking to the entire Jewish people. And if we made it up, it's a pretty silly thing to make up. Right? Why would you make up a story that two million people heard something they never heard? Could. But it's kind of a funny thing to do. And the concept of, of following and removing and destroying the entire religion because we're following after one person who clearly does not fit basically any of the requirements to be the Mashiach really is, very, is, is illogical if you think about it. Again, does it, could it make sense for a person who's Christian? I don't know. I, I'm not here to talk about why Christians should or should not believe in, in Jesus. That's not my area of expertise. But for us, it's important to know. And this way now, when we're asked the question, why don't, you believe in, why don't you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? You have a lot of reasons to explain and to know for yourself and to know the answer. I know why not. Because there's a lot of rules, a lot of things that the Messiah has to do, which he didn't do. Besides some of the other points we made. So I hope, again, tonight is not meant, and I'm going to say it again, it's not meant to be an attack. It's not the point. I'm not, is there an agenda? Yeah, there was an agenda. I usually don't have an agenda. And the agenda was to, to show the facts, right? But it's not meant to be an attack. It's not meant to disparage other religions. It's not, I'm not coming here to yell about Jews with Jesus. That's not the point. The point is that we have, we as religious Jews have to understand what we believe and what we don't believe. And we have to know very clearly because people will come after us. And people will say, you don't know what you're talking about. And then to quote all kinds of passages from the Torah and passages from Tanakh. And don't you know it says this? And we're like, I don't know. I don't know Tanakh. I don't know what you're talking about. Right? Now hopefully we have a certain understanding and hopefully will lead us to, uh, to a, greater, a greater, uh, greater understanding of our own beliefs in our culture. Okay. Any, any questions before we end? Yeah? Um, doesn't the Messiah have to be one person? Because as we were talking earlier, the word serpent, mm-hmm. the whole people right. of Israel, right. is it possible that, I read recently and I don't know I really don't know if it's true or not, but that in order, one of the things that had to happen uh, in order for the Messiah to come was that every single Jew had to follow two Sabbaths. Right, there's such, there's such a, a midrash like that, right? Right. If all the Jewish people would keep the Shabbos twice, twice. Could, part of that comes because in the Torah, this very second Shabbos, after the Jewish people leave Egypt, someone desecrates the Shabbos. Right, so that... that Kind of where this this midrash begins. Oh, they were what this this whole yeah something that like oh, thanks a lot right. <laughs> <laughs>
clue, right? Exactly. That's part of where the Midrash comes from, that it would have been that we would have kept the second Shabbos, boom, right into the land, would have had the Messiah, would have been done. It's probably, Moshe would have been probably. Yeah. But, uh, but no, generally, the assumption is that, not generally, the belief is that the Messiah will be one person. One person. One person. That doesn't negate what you just said. Right. Keep every, so all the people I'm hoping that it would be the whole people of Israel would be the Messiah for the rest of the world. Right, oh, yeah. No, the point is that we generally, again, it's also said in many places that the Mashiach can come at any moment. How's that? It must be that at all times there's some person around who could be the Mashiach. We don't know who he is, right? But he could be the Mashiach. Point being that at any moment the Mashiach could come, that means that at every moment there's a person around who has the capability to be the Mashiach. So be nice to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. That's the more <laughs> you can be the Yeah. No, yeah, 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 okay. Why do we need redemption? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. And we do that a different night. Excellent. We don't believe the original sin or any of that stuff. Why do we need it? So I'll, tell, I'll say one thing. I'll say, I'll say one thing. I'll say one thing. It requires its own discussion. Um, why we need redemption? Take this right away. It's sad that we don't realize why we need redemption. We don't, all of us, myself included. We don't know what it means, a world where there's a base of Mikdash, where there's actual, you can sense God in the world, in this world. We don't even know what that means. And so and that's what happens on Tisha B'Av, right? and the ninth day of Av, when we're supposed to mourn and we're supposed to cry about a lack of a base of Mikdash, and we all sit there and we're bored, and we don't know what everybody's crouching about. I don't know, life's okay, right? Because we, we don't even, we can't even fathom what a redeemed world would look like. A world with no sickness. A world with no war. A world with peace. Right? A world where every person recognizes there's a God in heaven. We wouldn't be reading, we wouldn't be reading about who knows what. Everything with open, the open internet and looking at the news. It's the impression that the world doesn't change. Yeah. That's a, a machlokas, if the world changes or not. But, but it could be the world becomes totally different. It could be the world becomes pretty much the same. But certainly no word. I believe there's sources also that there'd be no sickness. As well, I believe so. But it's a, it's a, it's a different. It's a different. Yeah, no doctor. Sorry. Sorry, no doctor. But the. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a it's a discussion for another day. The question more is, you know, why it is that we don't. The question more is that we. I think we don't have a recognition for ourselves, and I totally talk myself included as to why how badly we really need the redemption. But it's an excellent question. Rabbi, is a a song, I, I don't remember who, who is a singer, it's a very old Hasidic song, that it said that uh, uh, the Nevi'im and the, uh, all the Torah scholars, uh, they don't want uh, the Geulah in order that Israel will control the whole entire world, right. but in order to have the possibility Lasok Batorah. Uh-huh. Uh, to be involved in the study of Torah. Yes, so the redemption is a type of uh, being in very high level of Rukhani. Uh, right, right. And this is why we need it. Right. Uh, right. The world, we don't have to do anything else, and all you gotta do is learn Torah. Okay. It's a pretty good deal. Who will be nice? Okay. <laughs> okay, so Mitzvah Hashem, uh, through our study and through our continued uh, connection and steadfast devotion to our beliefs, uh, we should have the schuss, we should have the merit to see the real redemption in here, we have made. Okay. Okay.